This one is a wild one. So as you guys know, my Saturday episodes are usually plucked from the live stream that I do on Wednesdays on the Sean Atwood channel. They're part of a four-hour show, the entirety of which can be found on the Sean Atwood True Crime podcast. That means that these episodes are a little different. They're live, so not edited as smoothly, and I field some questions from the viewers. I like to think that it's nice to mix it up a little and have a different style of episode, but I also understand that some of you might prefer one type or the other, and you might just watch or listen to those ones. Now, the other thing is that I don't choose who I interview on The Sean Atwood Show. Producer Ash Meikle, shout out to Ash, does an amazing job in getting up to eight guests for us to alternate in interviewing over the four hours. That's a lot of guests to get each week. There's often cancellations last minutes and new people get pulled up and suddenly called in. Uh, Sometimes the guests are a little too out there for me to put the interviews on this podcast. Uh, And that's just, you know, about taste and things like that. But I'm talking about the occasional conspiracy theorist and people who say they've been abducted by aliens and lived on the planet Zorg for decades and that kind of thing. Today's episode is nothing of that sort at all, but there are a few tiny moments that made me want to issue a bit of a, not a warning, but a caveat perhaps. So I'll just go into it a little bit. So Kevin is a former minister of the United Church of Canada. He holds master's degrees in political science and divinity. After exposing the murder of children at his church's Alberni Indian Residential School, he was unceremoniously fired and expelled from the ministry. He lost his wife and kids in a church-funded divorce as a result. He was later adopted by the Anishinaabe Indigenous Nation in Winnipeg in 2004 and given the name Eagle Strong Voice. He admirably led the line in exposing the way that Indigenous Canadians have been wiped out over a period of over a hundred years in residential schools that are run by the Vatican. When I first heard him talk about this when I interviewed him some time ago on a different channel, I started following the story and just last month, Pope Francis, who Kevin calls Bergoglio in this episode, officially apologised while on a penitential pilgrimage to Canada. So that was July 2022 for those listening sometime in the future, uh, which sort of, you know, really made it feel even more real to me. Children were forcibly removed from their homes and made to attend a church-run government-funded boarding school to assimilate them into Christian Canadian society. Students were beaten for speaking their native languages and physical and sexual abuse were rife. Many were brutally starved and murdered and President Trudeau has blamed the Catholic Church and said the apology from the Pope is not enough. But there may be, and this is a cynical take perhaps, some deflection tactics from Trudeau given his father was Prime Minister of Canada while most of, or a lot of, this government-funded torture and murder was rife. Kevin is an incredibly knowledgeable and impressive person who's given up pretty much everything to expose the truth. And I really like him as well, and he's good to talk to, he's a great conversationalist, and everything he says about the Vatican and the Catholic Church is backed up online by evidence. His appearance prompted quite a few questions, however, from live viewers about things like the New World Order, which is a conspiracy theory that there are a bunch of elite rulers secretly deciding our fates. It's Alex Jones' territory, and usually the suggestion is that those rulers are Jewish, so I'm a little bit sensitive to it. 
And it's almost a relief to hear that in Kevin's version of the New World Order, they're the Vatican. I have no fair reason to doubt the validity of any of what Kevin says, but I would just urge you to remain curious around anything you hear in this podcast that is put forward as speculation rather than fact. Kevin may well be right, for example, that the death rate was higher in these schools than in the concentration camps during the Holocaust. But while some sources estimate that 30,000 kids out of 150,000 in the schools were killed, others calculate it at about 3,200. So, and others say it's somewhere in between the two. So it's something that's not entirely known, something that can't be known because of the nature of the way these people, these children were killed. Whatever way you look at it, whatever the numbers are, it is a tragedy. It's a dark stain on Canada and the Catholic Church's history and doesn't take away from the darkness of this affair. I urge that same curiosity and caution around other speculation and things we can't quite know, such as the actual motivations of the Chinese government and the Vatican, who Kevin reveals are working together on all sorts of things. It's all quite scary. But after all, that is what good sceptical and critical thinking is about. Uh, always doubting, always you know, remaining curious about facts and things. And I get the impression that Kevin agrees with that too. Still, a lot of what he says has absolutely blown my mind and I feel much the wiser for having heard him out and learned about this story, particularly the news that the Vatican might be about to be expelled from the UN. So thank you so much to Kevin Annette for coming on. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. And if you want to delve further into the rabbit holes Kevin has been investigating, get some of his books. He's written quite a few books about abuses of power and networks of power and that kind of thing. There are some great episodes coming up on this podcast with Professor Dave Farina about trans rights, abortion rights, flat earth theory and paranormal beliefs. And Maddie Anholt about how to leave your psychopath partner. But now you're on the edge of Vatican abuse with Kevin Annette. Kevin, how you doing, mate? Fine. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes. So I last spoke to you quite some time ago, actually. Can we just remind the audience again a little bit about, you know, the work you do and, of course, you know, the... Um, well, what what has been going on between 1863 and 1998 in residential schools in Canada? Well, I can't sum it all up in the time we got. A murderbydecree.com is the best way for people to look into it more, but it came to a head, the genocide that was actually planned and continued by the Vatican for so many years. Um, it came to a head when Bergoglio, so-called Pope Francis, came to Canada during July. And people kept wondering, why is this guy coming when he's not actually meeting many Native people? He was ostensibly to come to give a, quote, apology for killing over 60,000 children in their uh, so-called residential schools. But um, what turned out, it was interesting, um, it was a cover, a camouflage for a meeting he held in northern British Columbia with the Chinese. Because it turns out the Vatican Bank is underwriting a lot of the Chinese expansion going on you know, buying up the resources all over the world, especially oh, wow. in Canada. And um, out of that, you might have noticed this kind of skipped by a lot of people, but as he was leaving Canada, Bergoglio says, oh, yes, it was genocide, um, <laughs> which under international law, once you've admitted to genocide, you've got to face prosecution and punishment. Uh, yeah. Now, now at that point, you know, it doesn't, of course, the United Nations is never going to act on the, their own laws, but in, in relation to the Vatican. But what happened after that was really significant because over nine different indigenous nations then issued banishment orders against the Catholic Church in Canada. 
And they've started doing that. They're not just talking. They're, they've been seizing Catholic churches on the reservations, expelling the priests. And they've even got uh, local municipal governments to abolish the tax exemptions for the Catholic church, which is huge because it's the richest corporation on the planet. They start paying taxes on their property and everything. And goodbye, Nancy, right? I mean, yeah. so they're very worried about this. People are acting on the fact that, yes, they finally admitted to genocide. And uh, their whole role with China is a whole issue in itself. This Bergoglio, I've, I hadn't heard this before. That, that's a way of saying Pope Francis. Is that correct? That's his name, Jorge Bergoglio from Argentina. Okay. Curious I'd, George. Curious George, we call him. <laughs> I never knew that. I just knew him as Pope Francis. So for anyone else, it might, I might be the only one, but for anyone else who didn't know that, I lived in Argentina for some time, and they were very proud when he became uh, the Pope. I mean, has he been a good pope so far? No. Well, I, there are no good popes in my mind. But um, yeah. in the uh, his record in Argentina was very tainted. As Archbishop of Buenos Aires, he was a good buddy of the the generals. He stood by while over thirty thousand Argentines were murdered, including his own priests. Um, and he was implicated with people in the junta and the actual disappearance of people. So, I mean, this guy has blood on his hands as well not only wow. his predecessor Ratzinger that was that was the um the military junta um uh, Jorge Videla the who was in charge right. would drop yeah. he would put people in helicopters and drop them into the ocean well uh Bergoglio got he went from being a priest to the head of the Jesuits in Argentina in just 14 years because he was buddies with there's an infamous picture of, of Videla and him walking hand in hand smiling uh or arm in arm rather uh, you know, uh, he would go around the world doing what he does now. He's a spin doctor. He he put the the hunt in a good light, encouraged investment in Argentina. He actually is the one who got the Exocet missiles from Argentina during the 1982 war with England over the Falkland Islands. Bergoglio was the one who lined up funding for the Exocet missiles, you know, for oh the God. from the Vatican Bank. So I mean, this is the old sordid kind of Vatican tale, right? Oh my god! I had no idea. I thought these guys were just like they. I don't know why. I guess they hadn't given too much thought to popes. But I just imagined him just always having lived inside some sort of building in the Vatican and worn a cape or something, and and that was that. I didn't realize they were these sort of political figures. Well, that's it's the oldest political institution on the planet, the first corporation. Um, <laughs> it's not really a church. That's what people don't. It's hard to get our minds around because there's so much brainwashing about it. But the the Church of Rome is really a continuation of the Roman Empire. It's a corporation, and uh, it's certainly not a government under international law. He, you see, he has the titles of the Roman Emperor, uh, Vicari Christi. It means the one who replaces Christ. You know, uh, these are like old Roman titles put on with a little cross on top, and it's the biggest. The Vatican Bank handles over three quarters of the money in the world. Uh, it's a, a secret corporation. It's why they're underwriting the Chinese right now. They signed a deal in Prince Rupert, British Columbia, where the Vatican Bank is going to pro be providing almost a trillion dollars every year to China for what is called, you can look it up online, it's called the Road and Belt Initiative. It's They're buying up all the resources and the highways and the tunnels and the pipelines all over the world to channel all the resources into Central Asia and Beijing. It's the new power in the world. And the Vatican is funding them to do that. That's really what his Canadian trip was all about. And why are the Vatican doing that? Why is it sort of taking sides with China in that in that way? Yeah. 
they're, they're switching. So that's why Joe Biden went over on his hands and knees to Rome and did this fawning act a few months ago, um, because most of the Vatican assets are going east um, into the so-called BRICS alliance. The, the other significant thing, there was a meeting, this escaped a lot of people as well, but the Saudis are now selling oil to the Chinese using yuan, not at U.S. dollars. So they're switching the currency over to the Chinese yuan. Well, that can kiss the U.S. economy goodbye. Um, you know, so it, it's this inevitable takeover. It's the rising power in the world. And the Vatican, the only country in the world where the Vatican allows the government to appoint the bishops. They had a deal worked out. You know, this is unprecedented. So really, it's the merger of the Vatican and the uh, and China into this kind of super corporate state, which is the Vatican it's, it's, model. That's what. So I was just going to say, is the Vatican? I know obviously they're wealthy, but is it super wealthy, like on like a, like a big country would be? It's mind-boggling. Their wealth. Uh, we figure oh. about eighty percent of all the world's uh, money goes into the Vatican Bank and the Bank of International Settlements in Geneva. Um, what? Yep, it's a it's a, it's a completely secret corporation. You can't know who the investors are, who the shareholders are. They can't be audited. Uh, anyone who tries to look into it ends up dead, like Pope uh, John Paul I in 1978, dead in office wow. after a month. Right? We should uh, talk because about he looked it, into the Vatican Bank. Yeah, <laughs> we should we should talk about something else. I don't want to get killed. <laughs> well, I'm still around. I mean, this stuff is well known. It's it's not like it isn't known. It's just that nobody ever really does anything about it, right? Because even atheists have this illusion that, well, they got something to do with God, don't they? You know, why should why should the Vatican be so wealthy? Are people just around the world contributing and donating and that kind of thing? Well, it's not only that. They have uh, what's called financial concordats. A concordat is a treaty between the Vatican and other countries. Like the concordat, they were the first power to recognize Adolf Hitler. Uh, a financial concordat is a secret agreement with over 100 countries and the Vatican, whereby about 2% of your tax money is funneled into the Vatican Bank without your knowledge or approval. That's what? literally every country in the world has these. That's hundreds of billions of dollars every year just going from that. There's all their, their in, if you look at their investment portfolio, it's the arms industry, it's big pharma. They're hugely invested in big pharma. A lot of the children who died in Indian hospitals in, in, in Canada, in the Catholic schools, they're being used as involuntary drug test subjects. Um, a lot of the people, the deaths we've, we've uh, you know, documented. Sweet. Anyway, they're heavily involved in, in these murderous corporate activities all over the world. They're the owner of the biggest small arms manufacturer in the world, Beretta Limited. I mean, it goes on and on. And all these duped followers are sitting there and um, contributing money, thinking, well, that's how you buy your way into heaven, isn't it? Giving up oh. money. That's the official doctrine. Yeah. I mean, everything you're saying, it sounds reasonable to me. And that sounds like it makes sense. It doesn't surprise me, despite me going, what about the the extent of the wealth, I suppose. Uh, it's just that I, I probably, like most people, just hadn't really given it much thought. So it doesn't surprise me to hear it, but I didn't really think about the Vatican as a state in its own right and one with its own political um, uh, desires um, and tactics and strategies and those kinds of things. I just thought, like you say, it was a bunch of people in capes and things uh, serving right. the God they believe. That's the, that's the camouflage. But, you know, the irony is like, I love that scene. Uh, the Ma Monty Python had a skit once and they showed this guy who was called Vice Pope Eric. He was like this gangster who was the Pope. 
and he was talking to his cardinals. You know, he was like, hey, boys, if we're going to worship a poor, humble man, we're going to need a rich, powerful institution to do it with. Uh, kind of sums it up, right? They were pretty anti-religion. It was quite, it was, that would have been really controversial at the time, wasn't it? Well, well, the Vatican is anti-religion. That's the point. It's an atheistic institution. You don't trust God. You trust your your bank account. You everything is reduced to material relations, where you know they can take away your sins for enough money. You can get your way into heaven with enough money. It's a complete, you know, what's the word Christians use? Idolatry. It's worshiping a man rather than the mystery, which is what native people talk about all the time, right? Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. I was doing um, an episode on my podcast recently about a, a mafia of fake psychics. So we were talking all about psychics. You know, they were colluding to give each other information about different uh, clients and things. But uh, the person I was interviewing talked about open-eyed and closed-eyed psychics, as in those who uh, are aware that they're frauds and those who believe that they're really spiritual or whatever it might be. So would the Vatican, these people you're talking about, are these open-eyed? Are they aware of what they're doing or do they think they are somehow serving God or, or whatever it might be? That's a good question. There's a, a double think. Uh, no, having been a Protestant minister uh, mm -hmm. for, for years uh, they, in churches, there's this weird double think between your life in your congregation and then, Oh yeah, well, I know my church killed a lot of children and I know they're dealing in arms, but that's them. And it's got nothing to do with me. Right. It's this mm -hmm. incredible, um, you know, dissociation. And if you're not dissociated and you start asking questions, you, you've got a problem. You'll, what happens is what happened to me. You get tossed out and blacklisted and the whole bit. Um, so that's the way that these things operate. Any kind of corporation operates that way. But uh, religion has the advantage that it's the best mind control system in history. It's how you get a few to, to rule the many because, after all, God's on their side, right? Like God's going to choose to help these child killers and murderers rather than some humble guy like Jesus, right? Uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 absurd when you look at it, but the the mind control around it is phenomenal. But that's breaking down. And one of the things I wanted to mention is after Bogolio admitted to genocide, there was an immediate move at the United Nations to expel the Vatican because they have full status there, even though they're not a state. You know, they're a religion. I mean, why not allow in the Jehovah's Witnesses if you can allow in a religion? The Vatican is there illegally, and they're doing a lot of things to subvert UN conventions and stuff like that human rights conventions and things like that. So there's a move among countries that are hostile to China to get the Vatican out of there finally. And there's on September 13th, when they reconvene in the General Assembly, there's going to be a motion to have them removed because people know, countries know that they're the big financial engine behind China. 
And if you pull the plug on the Vatican, it's a way to stop the Chinese takeover, basically, of the whole world, especially in North America, which they're buying up very quickly. So that's exciting. It should be interesting to see what happens. At least it'll wake a lot more people up to what's happening. Right yeah. Now. So the Vatican, I mean, is, is it, it's a country, is it then? No. No, it's 108 acres in downtown Rome. It is not a country. There's a great book written about that um, called The Case Against the Pope by um, uh, a barrister in England. And it shows that under the uh, Montevideo Convention of 1933, it says a state has, a government has to have four things, you know, a stable population, a territorial area, the ability to enter into uh, um, agreements, and an army. Vatican has none of those things. But it's what, what's called a Santa Claus state. People pretend it's a state because it has a very important role politically in keeping, not only keeping people in line, but um, a huge financial resource for the governments and corporations of the world, money launderer, financial backer. So they need it in that status and they convince everyone it's a government, which it is not by any, any criteria. It's not a state. So really, it's just it's a, some, some sort of political entity in the middle of Italy. It's a corporation uh, that is, uh, with the cooperation of governments, considers itself immune from all other laws. It is the law. As a matter of fact, according to Catholic doctrine, the Pope has the right of life and death, the power of life and death over everyone on the planet. They can kill whatever they like, whoever they like, which has been proven in history. An example of that, Bergoglio, you know, he's considered a liberal Pope. Last time he was in America, he beatified this missionary called Junipero Serra who had worked to death 100,000 Indians in California on plantations. Bergoglio turns him into a saint and says, we're inspired by his zeal. Like the zeal of killing 100,000 people, genocide is considered a good thing if they're not Catholics. And that's the official doctrine. If you're not a Catholic, you don't have the right to live. You don't have a soul. Until you're baptized, then we can enslave you. That's been the way for 500 or 1,000 years. Still a doctrine. People can't believe that, you know, but in practice, look at the body count. You know, they got away with killing 60,000 children in Canada with an apology, right? If anybody else did that, would they have been able to get away with that? I mean, that's the question, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess I sort of, yeah, I guess I sort of want to remind viewers from last time about that, about the genocide in the in those residential schools, just, uh, you know, how that was how that was going on and just a little description of what was going on just for people who, who haven't heard before. Well, it was a plan to exterminate uh, non-Christian which you originally meant non-Catholic people. Um, it was set up by the government of Canada, the British Crown, the Vatican, and then the, Ca the Anglican and United Churches. And their, their own admitted death count is over 50%. Half those children never came back because these were death camps and labor camps. I've worked with hundreds of survivors of these. It's all documented, murderbydecree.com. But... Um, it was a, a plan It worked right up until 1996, like similar things all over the world, uh, extermination centers. The death rate in the Canadian Indian schools was higher than at Auschwitz and Treblinka, uh, which were labor camps. They, the average rate in Auschwitz was about 25 to 50%. In, it was double that in Canadian Indian schools. It was just extermination centers. And, um, you know, so if it, it, the, it's not that the evidence isn't there. It's just that who wants to act on against the big boss, right? Who everyone mm -hmm. refers to all the time, right? Who And how were they dying, just being worked to death? There they, they weren't gas chambers, were there, or anything like that? As a matter of fact, there were. Uh, but the, um, the general method used, and this is described by a guy called Dr. Peter Bryce, who was a government 
doctor who did a study of all the Indian schools early in the 20th century. And we know this from eyewitnesses too. They took the sick children who had tuberculosis and smallpox, locked them in the same room with kids who were healthy, never treated them, starved them, beat them, depressed their immune system so they'd get sick. And then they all die from TB, quote, act of nature, right? They admit that in their records, that that was the pre, uh, primary mean of extermination. But there are all sorts of things. They were killing kids. We had uh, eyewitnesses in some of our films describing how they watched children from the woods where they were hiding. Children lined up by Canadian soldiers, shot and thrown in a ditch. Ironically, during World War II, 1944 in Brantford, Ontario. Uh, the evidence is everywhere that they were using every method that genocidal regimes always use to exterminate them. But uh, the will to disbelieve is so strong, especially, you know, in Canada, we won a war of genocide. Why should we ever have to account for it? Like the Vatican, who's going to hold them accountable unless you do things like we're, we're hopefully doing now, cut off their funding, you know, uh, take away their special status. They should not have exemption from taxation uh, or be above the law, which they are right now. And so this, this, this genocide was, was done in the name of the Vatican and, and Catholicism. Originally, it was set up according to a Vatican model, a uh, Catholic model that went back well into Europe. The Jesuits developed it. You go into an area, you uh, destroy the traditional leaders, you elevate Catholic chiefs in their place and uh, wipe out all the traditionalists. And, and then uh, the, a lot of the chiefs on reservations now in Canada are descendants of those loyal Catholic Indian chiefs they used literally throughout the, the old, the clan mothers and the others, kill them off or just drove them in exile and put their puppets in who are still ruling the native people. So, I mean, it's, it's a tried and true method. The British did it in India that they bring uh, the Maharaja's children over to Oxford and Cambridge and raise them as little servants of the empire. It's what you do. It's, it, you know, it's a method of, of, you know, neo-colonialism, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and a, a tragedy that, as you're saying, only only last month, Pope Francis or Bergoglio uh, admitted that it was genocide. So was that, I mean, I know you're saying that, that that he should, you know, well, something should happen then, they should be expelled for all, or whatever it might be. Was there a, a bit of like, oh, finally, he said it for you, because you've been working on this for so long. I never needed them to admit the crime. It's like trying to get the system to admit that, no, it wasn't just a lone gunman who killed JFK, because we've known for a long time the truth. But it was gratifying that that would hopefully wake more people in kind of the brainwashed mainstream to think, well, wait a minute, if they're admitting it was genocide, genocide means to wipe out a group. And under the UN Convention on Genocide in 1948, it said any regime that admits to or is proven to commit genocide, quote, must be prosecuted and punished, unquote. Now, if the UN doesn't apply its own convention, it means there is none. It means they're not following their, their rule of law, and that will wake up more people to what we're really in here, which is just make-believe and words, you know, run by the killers, right? Yeah, but how do you punish a state? I mean, do you punish a state for historic crimes? It, you know, I, I, I'm not saying they shouldn't do. I'm just saying, how, yeah. does, how does one go about that? Sanctions, uh, throwing them out of the UN, bringing e economic sanctions, seizing their property. As a matter of fact, that's what's happening in Canada. The property, assets... The land they stole of the Catholic Church can now lawfully be seized. It's called the Transnational Criminal Organization Act of 2000. It said if you're uh, trafficking people, which the Catholic Church does, if you're laundering money for organized crime, which the Vatican Bank does in a huge way, if you do those things, you're a TNCO, and you don't have the right to your own assets because it's going to be used to harm somebody. So any citizen can peacefully go in and take the money out of the 
collection plate because it's being used for criminal purposes. You can seize the church buildings, which natives have started to do. You can arrest wow. their officers as being part of a criminal conspiracy. There's even a policy, and every Catholic in the world should know about this. There's a standing policy called Crimen Solicitanus, passed in 1929. It still governs everybody, almost 100 years later. It says that when a child is raped, no one is to be, uh, everyone is to be silenced. The police are not to be told. It's all concealed. And if anyone talks about it, they're excommunicated which means to a Catholic, you're thrown into hell for snitching on a child rapist. That makes every Catholic in the world part of a criminal conspiracy to protect child rapists. And the money you're putting in the collection plate is feeding that, that conspiracy, that crime. So on that basis alone, you're, you know, like people have to dissociate from that. And I say to Catholics and priests have gone along with us on this, break away from Rome, stop giving the money, set up your own congregation. We're not saying don't mm -hmm. practice your faith. Don't practice things that are going to harm people and cut off the source of this big money-sucking corporation that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's well, that was going to be my next question, actually, because I'm personally, I'm an atheist, but I have a lot of respect for people who are religious and have religious beliefs. And many of those people are Catholic. Just It's just a numbers game. A lot of people listening who are religious might be Catholic. If they are as disgusted by all of this as, as I am hearing it, and as you clearly are, what should they do if they want to? I mean, are, are you also, and uh, the second part of the question, are you also a, a man of faith Faith today? Yes, very much. My, after uh, my life was destroyed and I was attacked, my faith in God and my the presence of Christ in my life increased. But I realized with that clarity came a sense that, no, it has nothing to do with worldly kingdoms. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, mm -hmm. don't call anyone on earth father because you're one father in heaven. Well, why does everyone call a priest or the pope father it's a complete refutation of their own bible and that should tell people something but the problem is in the catholic church and in whole western culture people are traumatized at such a young age they can't even raise their mind against authority figures and that's why child rape is not a crime it's why it's so common because you have to traumatize people at a young age to get them to be obedient little sheep and think that well we can't condemn bagoglio we might get in trouble with the big guy no it's the opposite i mean it's it's that it, it's you've got to think and act out of your own conscience because that is, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within you, said Jesus. He didn't say it's in a communion wafer or, or in the Vatican. He said quite mm. the opposite, right? It's within all of us. Yeah. I, again, as an atheistic person, yeah. I quite, I, I like the idea that people who are religious could move away from the, the groups and the, the cults and things like that and just have their own faith and maybe Absolutely. share it with some friends. And just, I agree totally. Yeah. As yeah. a matter of fact, uh, you know, they say about 80% of the universe is dark matter, dark energy. We mm -hmm. can't even perceive it. How can anyone know one way or the other ultimately, you know, for or against? The, it's all a mystery. And that's why Native people in, in my tradition as well, in the Métis or mixed blood people in Canada, we call the creator uh, the great mystery. We don't put a mm -hmm. name on that, on the source of all things. You can't put a name on it or you turn it into a little idol, which just yeah. reflects human corruption and power. Look at the Vatican, you know, the best example of that in the world. It's been corrupted by worldly power. Now, we're not to do that. We're just to have a, our personal relationship with the great mystery. It doesn't have to be, you know, any more complex than that. Treat people well, you know, love your neighbor, love God as you love your neighbor, and boom, things will be fine, folks. You don't need all this other crap.
<laughs> I like that. I mean, look, those are things you could do if you didn't believe in God. Like, uh, you know, do as you would do if there weren't. Right. Because this idea that you only do those nice things because you're getting right. to heaven or someone's watching no, exactly. over you, that's no good either, is it? It's not legitimate, is it? I mean, if we're doing it uh, to get a favor in the next life, if there is one, that's not legitimate. Uh, as a matter of fact, the most genuine people I know are atheists. Because that when they act out of conviction, it's because of their own, they can't point to anything else to either to project their shadow or their, or their light on. There's only us. We only have each other. And I think that's a very healthy attitude we've got to all get back to. Right? Mm. Yeah, I like the humility of the acceptance that there's might be a mystery, but that we don't know. And, and right. I think that's where that's where stuff like the Bible and things sometimes for me can go a little, you know, because mm -hmm. it's sort of describing these things in such detail. Of, and as you right. say, 80% of the universe might be a black matter. What on earth do we know? We don't. More humility, yeah, folks. More humility. Yeah. I think so. Speaking of, well, not humility, really, but just just a, a comment I've got here. Andrew, from Fred, Andrew, can you mention Ian Paisley calling the Pope Satan in the European Parliament? Do you know much about that? Yeah, it was an incident. Uh, he stood up and he had a sign saying Pope Antichrist. And uh, it actually was a doctrine of every Protestant church in the world until the mid-20th century that, yes, the Roman Pope is... Antichrist in that he's setting himself up as Christ. That's what the term Vicari Christi means, the one who replaces Christ. So it was actually mainstream Christian doctrine for a long time. But when you read in the Bible, a person isn't Antichrist, a place is. Uh, the, John in the book of Revelation was referring to the, 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 the Antichrist in Rome. So it's kind of like a place. And that's true energetically. When you're in a certain place, it captivates people. And I believe, you know, I got the sense of this when I was in Rome doing a protest there once. Um, exorcism, actually. It was kind of fun. Yeah, but I'm, I'm standing there. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah, no, it's real. It's real. We should, but we anyway. should trade exorcism stories. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Next show. Um, yeah. the, the Colosseum built uh, pillars where so many people were slaughtered. That's what constitutes St. Peter's Square. And the, the, uh, where, the, where Bergoglio lives... And the cartilage of cardinals, it's the uh, Emperor uh, Caligula. It's a little old palace, the most bloodthirsty cannibal. And th that's the energy in that place. And they pretend that, that it has something to do with Christ. Well, yeah, there's that anti-life, anti-Christ spirit in that place. And it captivates anybody who sits in that chair. And that's the reality, you know. I've got uh, more questions here from guests. I've got Matthew Steeples asking uh, if you know Father Michael Seed. No, not personally. I don't think I've heard about him, no. No, I don't know who that is. Um, Matthew, if you want to uh, tell us a bit about who that is, by all means, put that in the comments for in a bit. Um, another one from Rebecca Nicole. Uh, Rebecca Nicole, what does Kevin think about the new world order? Is the UN part of it? What is the Absolute. new world order? For those who don't know. Well, I mean, you know, it, there's different sources of this, and the UN is an integral part of it. Um, that's why it's interesting. There's a move at the UN to throw out the Vatican. Um, mm. You know, I think the the thieves are falling out. There's divisions happening within the the, the cabal. But um, it come really the modern notion of the new world order came out of uh, out of Rome. Uh, you know when the when the it's, there's a kind of history about this, but uh, the the whole model of a corporate state, which is mm -hmm. this one head, like what you get in China or the Vatican, right? Like an emperor, that came out of Rome. It's an old Roman idea of corporatism, which and that's why 
the Vatican helped set up fascism in Italy and Nazism in Germany because it, as, as Pope, uh, number, which one is it? Pius the 22nd, I think, or the 12th, I lose track of all these bozos. But anyway, um, he said, fascism is the teachings of the church made law. It, and, and so it's really the idea that you got one world government came out of Rome. It's, it's a, it's a church idea because that's what they were. They saw themselves as that, as the one state. That's what the word Catholic means. It means universal, which it isn't. Mm. But again, it's more brainwashing that we are the one source of everything, not God, us. And, um, and so, yeah, that model of the new world order came out of that, that development in Europe, but it's an old idea. It goes back to the Roman empire really. And before that, even. Hmm. I, I wonder just, you know, with new world order, are we delving uh, dangerously close to conspiracy theory uh, areas here? Um, I'm, I'm particularly sensitive as a, I'm from a Jewish family myself about these, these kinds of things, uh, the secret groups who rule, rule the world. Right. Right. How can you know? It's like the dark matter, dark energy thing. How can we ultimately know? Like I say to people, we base our work on hard evidence, people's testimonies, documents, our lived experience. That's where we're going to start. What does our lived experience tell us about the world? Using your own common sense, not what you're taught every day, right? And a lot of these things we can answer for ourselves just based on that common sense, right? Hmm. I've got another question from Jake Forder. Uh, Kevin, if genocide was being committed, wouldn't the perpetrators have used more effective and time-saving methods than those described? Not if you're in charge. You're not worried about that when you're, you're not accountable. And the thing about, you know, we, we hold up the example of Nazi Germany and the genocide there. It was 12 years. It was condensed into a 12-year period. So all of their, they had to do it quick, right? Their methods were brutal for that reason. When you've got 500 years on a continent, to wipe out people, you're not especially hurried. When you look at the way it happened in Canada and the destruction of indigenous people, first you wipe out about 90% with germ warfare, smallpox, that kind of thing, which is well-documented. Then you take the remnant and you isolate them on reservations and you gradually, you know, you milk them. You need some of the, like in Canada, they needed native people for a while as military allies, the British against the French. They needed them in the fur trade. They needed them economically. But when they lost their usefulness, like out West, they just wiped them all out. And, um, and so that's what you find. So it depends on the country. But no, don't forget, these, these people are in, in power. They don't have to answer to anybody. So they're not really worried about, you know, being exposed or anything. That's the reality. Hmm. And, and I've got another question. I've got all these questions from people. Agent Orange 2, what are the chances the government uses a fake second coming as a false flag? I think that's accurate. Um, you know, the and in fact, we know from people who have been uh, used in uh, medical experiments, military and church medical experiments, that one of the uh, ideas planted in their mind uh, through, you know, hypnotically is that you're being tortured by aliens, that you're part of a Satanist, satanic institution and that. So, um, you know, it's designed to kind of fog what's really going on to people. And I know, yeah, Sean wanted uh, me to ask a little bit about, you know, links between the Vatican and UFOs. Could you hold on one minute? I've got to just yes. shut off this answer. I wondered what that was. Well, there you go. Some fascinating stuff. It's always really, really interesting talking to Kevin. So glad he's here. I don't know what 
really sorry about that. They, uh, this weird message came out. It was probably in the background. Could you repeat that question, please? <laughs> Just at the moment that I asked about UFOs and stuff. Right, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, yeah, UFO, UFOs, what links are there between the Vatican and UFOs? Are there any? Well, I guess it depends, first of all, if you believe they exist. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of predicated on, it's in philosophy, they call it a tautology. You, uh, you state something is true before there's proof that it is true, right? And unfortunately, a lot of what's on the internet now is tautological. It's like, well, we all know there's UFOs, well, do we? Like, let's, let's examine our first assumption. If there are, if there are, you know, intelligent races from another world, in a way, my attitude would be, well, why would they bother with us? Uh, we're a violent, destructive species and might be dangerous for them to come down here. So I think they'd watch us from a distance. Um, you know, logically, why would they have to intervene? We, we're very egocentric people. We think that we're the center of the universe. And so naturally, UFOs would have to do all these things to us. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. But I can't know one way or the other. Um, I do believe the Vatican and powers that rule the many, over, the, the few over the many have to rule primarily through illusion, you know, that we believe they're powerful. There's no such thing as the church. It's an abstraction. These are just people in robes, okay? Um, and similarly, uh, they have to rule through fear. So the best thing that unites people around a ruler is if an external threat. Everybody who, every ruler who's ever launched a war knows that. So if there is suddenly an alien invasion, wouldn't we all rally around our governments, our churches? You know, look to Rome. In all the sci-fi films, there's people going to Rome <laughs> for spiritual help. I mean, no, that's, that's not what goes on. It's part of the big illusion. And they need these these external enemies all the time to solidify their control over people so i mean i think it's partly that psychological purpose of it yeah so so do you think that that might even be behind some of the the latest sort of stuff coming out of the navy in the u.s about ufos and stuff it might help you know get people to gather around the politicians a little bit more well absolutely because of course america is going down the toilet uh Mm. politically economically militarily in every way they're kind of like where england was after world war ii and China's where America was. They're the rising power. China owns about a third of the U.S. debt. They're, we know, because this has shown up on records, that China is actively funding both political parties. You need them to tear the country apart in the civil war, and that's what the Democrats and Republicans are doing. You find the most contentious issue, abortion, and go to the mattress over and get everyone to rip the country apart while China picks up the pieces. I mean, it's, it's so obvious when you look at history and the way things operate, they've read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. They know you defeat an enemy by dividing it and getting the enemy to fight each other. You don't conquer them directly. So that's all involved in all of this. And like I say, the Vatican is underwriting that whole Chinese takeover. Something the U.S. has a lot of experience doing itself, in, particularly in South America and Central America. It's the old game. The British did it. That's how they, you know, uh, the British ruled... A, third of the world for so long the same kind of divide and conquer any ruler knows how to do that so we shouldn't be surprised um but it's part of our own personal awakening that okay this is what we're in you know we've been in a blood-soaked system from the beginning and because i didn't experience it didn't mean it wasn't there uh now the question is what do we do about it and fortunately people are doing more about it these days which is great you know, it's it's funny. You know, sometimes you've heard certain um, mottos or, or logos or whatever since you were a child, um, slogans and things, and you never really considered what it what it means. And divide and conquer. I hadn't really considered that divide means go and sort of 
uh, try and infiltrate a population so that they are against one another, and that's yeah. when you move in. Is that what that means? Yeah, as a matter of fact, it even goes back older than that. A divide, as in cut. Uh, you know the term to cut an agreement, to cut a contract? Yeah. It's because in the ancient Near East, they would literally do a sacrifice. When you made an agreement, you'd cut an animal or often a child into pieces oh. and then use their skin. It's why we call children kids because a kid is a, is a, is a baby goat. And the Vatican would use what's called vellum, uh, the skin of goats for Vatican documents. But they would also use the skin of children. Shut um, up. Well, that's what kid means. They're like infantry, child soldiers, infantry, kids. And, you know, there's references to this in the Vatican archives. Oh. And it's, it's such a well-known fact. And yet people don't want to look at that. It's so horrible. That's the defense they have that it's too horrible to imagine. And so people reject it. But um, cutting a contract was the same thing. Dividing your enemy. Well, literally, they did that. They would chop up their enemy into pieces. Literally and figuratively, right? This can't be. It's a, a kind of thing I want to be like. That's that's you know I have to hear that a few times for me to take it on board. You know that so, sounds so crazy to me. I've just looked up the the uh, etymology of kid in sort of Middle English, Old Norse. It comes from kith or Germanic origin kitsa. But uh, oh yeah, well it, yeah, it's easy know. for it's easy for academics to fog an issue. Uh, I've seen it happen a lot, but. Um, no, I mean it's it's like when you talk to eyewitnesses in the which we didn't talk about the ninth circle, the mm -hmm. the cult in the Catholic Church that goes back to at least the 16th century, um, child sacrificial cult, and it's not surprising uh, it was an old Roman practice to do that, and this is the Church of Rome after all it's the same entity, with you know new camouflage but uh, you know every pope every cardinal's expected to take part and we've talked to tos nienhaus and marie van bienberg who were raised in the cult they took part in the ceremonies they watched what happened to children you know murderbydecree.com we, we posted all this stuff there under the itccs listings from all of our work uh over the years and it, it's not like the evidence isn't there it's just that you know if i didn't know this stuff and i hadn't lived through all of this stuff over the years my first reaction too would be, oh, I don't, I can't think about that. That's too horrible to imagine. It's going to upset me. I can't sleep tonight if I think about that. So we reject it, but it doesn't make it not there just because we can't believe it. Oh man, there's so much new information for me to take on here. Um, and, and all of this, all of this that we're talking about leads us to September with the move to expel the Vatican from, from the United Nations. I mean, that again, this is news to me. Is that actually probably going to happen? Well, we have, first of all, there's a contingent of indigenous elders going to New York. They're going to do it on September 11th, deliberately, on 9-11, nice. which is a Sunday. They're having rallies. Uh, they're going to do their own kind of equivalent of an exorcism at St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is just a stone's throw from the UN. Uh, then they're going to go over there and lobby people. Now, there's countries, I don't know which ones, but there are countries that are giving them a hearing, and they're going to put forward the motion to expel the Vatican. There's a book I've written, which you can get online, whoop, dethroning yeah. a rogue power, uh, get it on Amazon or write to me and we can send you a PDF of it. It lays out the measures needed to get to throw them out. Um, and that's going to happen, but it's combined with a lot of, like I mentioned to you when Bergoglio was in Canada, um, he, uh, he went to a place called Nunavut, which is among the Inuit people in the North. And just before he got there, the city council nullified tax exemptions for the church in their area. 
And that was deliberate. It was to make the point. And, and the church freaked out over it because they don't want to lose tax exemptions or they'll have to pay, you know, tax on their trillions of dollars. Um, and so what, uh, what happened out of that is other agency uh, governments, municipal governments across Canada and other countries now are considering passing similar motions. So in a particular town, the Catholic Church will simply have to do like everybody else and pay tax uh, on their property, on their income, everything. So this is a big movement that's starting. We're actually working with people in nine countries now to do this. And, um, and so this could be a real, you know, you follow the money and that's where they're weak. Their public image and their money, that's where you always hit. That's what forced the apology in Canada by us occupying churches, threatening the collection plates on Sunday. They're, it definitely had an impact and anybody can do that. So I put my email there, angelfire101 at protonmail.com. And um, mm. people can write to that if they want more information. Oh, yeah. Okay. And tell me as well about, um, actually, I'm going to ask Ray J's question. Did the papacy have a big change after Ratzinger or before? No, it was uh, the whole thing that happened with Ratzinger um, is that uh, we began a common law court trial against him. I call them the Dirty 30. These were people who were accused of genocide in Canada and of concealing it because that the policy I mentioned of criminal satanus, where people are obligated to cover up these crimes in the church, Catholic church. Um, after uh, Just before the verdict came down that found Ratzinger and the others guilty, he steps out. He steps down from uh, first pope in 600 years to resign. Okay, what had happened was five days before that, a guy called Eduardo Baruga, who was the Spanish ambassador to the Vatican, delivered a note from the Spanish government, diplomatic note to uh, Tarsicio Bertoni, who was the secretary of state. It said if Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, came to Spain, he could face arrest based on the evidence he saw, because we shared a lot of our evidence with governments around Europe. Then Ratzinger steps down, never left the Vatican since because he knows he could face arrest under that standing verdict of our common law court, which any court in the world can act on. They can issue arrest warrants based on that verdict. And uh, Bergoglio was brought in instantly as the spin doctor, as a distraction. Uh, there wasn't even a vote, according to our sources. He was just appointed. Uh, no Jesuit was allowed to be Pope, according to their own rules, and yet there he is, first one Jesuit in history. Um, doesn't live in, in, in the usual accommodations for the Pope. His cardinals routinely contradict what he says. Uh, so we don't really believe he is. He's like a figurehead to distract. There's a big faction, two factions in the Vatican between the Ratzingers, who are the, the Ratzinger faction and the old cardinals are like the old pro-Western wing of the Vatican. Bergoglio is the New World Order pro-China faction. And in fact, you know, when you notice cardinals like um, that guy in... Uh, Australia, who was forced to step down. When cardinals and bishops are exposed as child rapists in that, it's because one faction has exposed the other faction. It's like, it, it's, a, it's a faction, it's a political, it's not like suddenly yeah. the church has grown a conscience. It's a power struggle going on. And so that's what's going on now. We know all this stuff from Bergoglio because of sources in the Ratzinger faction, right? And so Bergoglio used that dirt on Ratzinger to elevate himself into power, but now he's his own dirty laundry is coming out. Now he's even admitted to the crime. And uh, I got a call from a native elder the other night who had been with me from the beginning in this fight back in the 90s. And he said, Kev, you must be really happy this night. Um, you know, it finally took 25 years, but the, the criminals admit the crime. And of course, in an exorcism, when the entity 
names itself and is allowed to, you know, and, and is exposed, it loses its power over its the host it's occupying. And I see that happening globally now. The Catholic Church is on the defensive. And if we can knock them out, there goes China. And I think that everybody has an interest in doing that, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, I also want to know about the Vatican's ties. You know, we've talked about the funding of China, but what about um, organ trafficking? Oh, well, that's big. As you know, uh, even the UN is admitting that China has a practice of, they figure it's between three and 6,000 people a year are murdered for their organs. These are like Falun Gong religious dissidents. These are uh, 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 Muslims from southern China. Uh, they're grabbed and hospitalized. The Chinese military have a technique now of actually, it's like from a sick science fiction film, they keep people alive in hospitals and military barracks and gradually remove the organs that they don't need, like a kidney first and then various other organs until they finally kill them. But they're really a farm. They're being farmed for their organs. Well, the companies that provide the backup for that, like tissue sampling and all of that, are big pharma. Pfizer, GlaxoSmithKline in England, um, you know, Eli Lilly, all of these uh, Roche, all of the pharmaceutical companies are working actively with China to, to do that, that genocide, that mass murder. Now, the Vatican is involved in a big way with that, not only through their investments in big pharma and their support for China. They actually have been staging conferences recently on organ trafficking. Where, who do they invite? The Chinese. Bergoglio is doing like we did in Argentina. He's doing a big whitewash of the whole thing by putting their spin on it which is that, well, people aren't really being killed in this way. You know, um, the, 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 the Chinese are looking into it and are reforming this practice. The, you know, it, so, I mean, it's the same old game, but China and, and the Vatican are directly involved in that, that mass murder of people. Oh my word. It's really quite horrific, some of the things you told me today. Uh, I'm, happy, I'm happy you're telling me about it, though. And uh, where would you like to sort of, you know, send people? You mentioned uh, your book recently. Just give me a few things that you'd like people to go check out. Murderbydecree.com. When you go to that, that's got original research. And you'll notice on their headings like ITCC, that stands for International Tribunal of Crimes of Church and State. The ITCCS archives and updates we had a lot of our stuff wiped off the internet for obvious reasons right after we had convicted Ratzinger and others. We had to reconstruct it. So it's all at murderbydecree.com now. And flag behind me is the Republic of Canada. We're setting up these Kamala Republics outside British Crown and corporate jurisdiction. Republic of Canada, K-A-N-A-T-A, republicofcanada.org is our other site. And uh, I would go to both of those. If you watch um, the breaking news updates on republicofcanada.org, you'll see all of this news, the most recent uh, evidence I was talking about, and and the moves happening now to seize uh, Catholic churches as reparations for all these crimes, which we have the right to do. Uh, All of that is posted there, the news. And um, like I say, write to me, angelfire101 at protonmail.com, and we'll plug into our network. It's now in nine countries, people working on these things. And it's really kind of our answer to this whole global global COVID corporate police state, um, you know, you notice at all the Catholic churches, it says, take your shot. And Bergoglio has ordered all Catholics to get the shot. Well, of course, because they're major shareholders, you know, and Pfizer and all the other companies. So, I mean, it's all there. It's now a matter of people acting on what we know, right? Political, very political. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kevin. And uh, people go and check out your stuff. Have a lovely day, Kevin. Thanks for all the time. Thank you, Andrew. I'll talk to you later. 
Thank you so much, Kevin Annette, a quite wonderful speaker who's helped expose some truly abominable truths about the Vatican Church. Do follow him on Twitter and get his books to learn more about the darkness in the Catholic Church. Um, I do hope I haven't offended any Catholic people as we talk about uh, in, the, in that episode. You know, there's nothing wrong with being Catholic or religious yourself. It's just that whenever you give humans that kind of power, they tend to abuse it. Hope you guys all enjoyed that and that it expanded your minds and taught you of things that perhaps you knew little or nothing of. I hope it kept you intrigued and curious to do your own research into the topic. That's all for now. Please do keep sharing this podcast with friends and I'll see you next time as I discuss trans rights, abortion rights, flat earth theory and paranormal beliefs with Professor Dave Farina. See you then. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus